Welcome, listeners, to a realm where shadows dance and whispers echo. I'm your host, Rick Clifton, and this is Quills and Chills, the podcast that brings you face-to-face with the masterminds behind the macabre. In each episode, we journey into the minds of horror writers and filmmakers to uncover the secrets lurking within their tales of terror. From classic tales to modern nightmares, we'll traverse the corridors of the human psyche and unravel the threads of dread that keep us turning the pages or sitting out there in the dark. Welcome to Quills and Chills. Hello, and welcome back to Quills and Chills, the podcast that takes you behind the screens with your favorite authors and filmmakers. I'm your host, Rick Clifton, and today we are talking with author Allie Wilkes about their new book, Where the Dead Wait, which is available now in the U.S. and on shelves January 23rd in the U.K. Allie is also the Bram Stoker-nominated author of All the White Spaces. Welcome to the show, Allie. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, before we get into the specifics of Where the Dead Wait, I'd love to get to know a little bit about you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I am a writer who lives in Greenwich, London, um, an excellent location for anyone who writes about ships because I'm very close to the National Maritime Museum. I spent 11 years as a criminal barrister doing trials, prosecuting and defending largely all over the southeast of England and left it some seven or eight years ago now in order to pursue my dream of being spooky full time. So here I am. (laughs) Well, that's great. Lucky us. (laughs) I love that. Well, I, as a lover of horror myself, I ask this question of all of my all of my authors and all of my interviews. I'm very curious how people sort of come to this genre. What initially drew you to the horror genre as a writer, specifically as a writer? I think it's more a case of I'm such a lifelong horror fan and nerd that if you scratched me, horror was bound to come out. I was a very, very spooky kid growing up. I was really into, in the UK, we had the Usborne Worlds of the Unknown books, which were full of true stories of ghosts, true photographs of ghosts, and so on and so forth. And I was absolutely obsessed with that. And I think I wrote my very first horror story when I was about eight years old. I have it framed above my desk. It is called The Thing That Came Out of the Night which really probably gives you an overview of what I was like as a child. So horror for me is a very natural fit. It's my natural home. (laughs) That is fantastic. Are there any specific experiences or authors that have influenced your, your or furthered your interest in horror? I think growing up, certainly, I was very, very influenced in my horror journey by the writer Ramsey Campbell, who is a UK-based great writer of cosmic horror um, around the time I was growing up. And it's really through his work that I found similar authors or sort of the cosmic weird authors. So H.P. Lovecraft, uh, sidebar for problematic, Arthur Macken, Algernon Blackwood, that sort of heritage of the British weird, which is very, very preoccupied with the ideas of deep time and um, nature as a, a sort of sentient or hostile force. 
Wow, that's fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit about where the dead wait. Can you, let's start with a sort of a brief overview of what the book is about and what inspired you to write this particular story. Sure. So the book is about a Victorian era explorer called William Day. When we start the book, he is not doing so good. He has been on a big Arctic expedition in the 1860s, and he has come back in absolute disgrace because that expedition ended in murder, betrayal, abandonment, losing the ship, and survival cannibalism, which popular back then in terms of the fact that it happened quite a lot on these expeditions, but very unpopular with the press and with the public. So he starts the book, A Broken Man, and he has to set out on a journey to save one of his former shipmates who's got lost in the Arctic again. So he's heading back into frozen waters. He's heading back into the headspace of his own past. And he is being forced to confront all the gruesome and very morally grey choices he made back then. A very interesting story. I, I got to tell you, it's quite the per- page turner for me. I Every time I was like, okay, I'm going to stop reading for the night. Nope, I've got to do one more. So, so it's, those, it's those very short chapters, isn't it? And, you know, you say that, and it's actually interesting because here's what I was thinking about last night and thinking about talking to you is your style of writing I just love. And the reason I love it is you do something that really works for my brain. And I don't know if this makes any sense, but it's very short chapters. You also write short sentences sometimes that just get the idea out and across and it keeps it moving. And for some reason, it just really works for my brain and it just keeps me moving along in the story. So I, I thought that was really well executed. It was one of the things I really loved about your book. And I wanted to make sure I told you that. Oh, thank you very much. I've heard my style of writing described before as crisp. And I think what an excellent adjective and it makes it sound like snow. So I'm going to go with that descriptor. It's it's crisp writing. I love it. I will go with it as well. So the title itself suggests that this is a ghost story. And I think while I agree that the main character, William Day, is haunted, it's also, for me, more than a ghost story. So without revealing too much, I also feel like it's a bit of a coming out journey for him in a way, especially given the time period and knowing that coming out at that point in time was against the law in the 1800s. Can you tell us a little bit about William's journey through the book? Sure. And have I revealed too much? (laughs) I can (laughs) always edit. (laughs) Not at all. I'll preface this answer by saying that I tend to write queer fiction. I would call myself a queer author and most of my books or works engage with being queer in a historical context. So all the white spaces dealt with the journey of a young trans man, where the dead wait. You're absolutely right. William Day, my protagonist, is a probably a closeted gay man, but doesn't even have the terminology to grapple with that. He is someone who was forced into a real pressure cooker environment when his previous expedition went wrong, forced into proximity with a a lot of various people and forced to take control So he really is the walking embodiment of imposter syndrome because he was never really meant to be a captain. And it's in that circumstance that he comes to rely 
more than most on his bunkmate, Jesse Stevens, who is the man who goes missing in the present day of the story. And it's a real pressure cooker environment. It forges intimacy, it forges relationships, but there's something very toxic at the heart of Day and Stephen's relationship. And so I would say it's to a certain extent a coming out story in that Day ends the book more accepting of himself than he was when he started it. But it's also a deep dive um, exploration of a, a very, very toxic relationship with weird power dynamics forged in this crucible of danger and starvation. I, I think that's a great, a great explanation of it. And maybe coming out wasn't the right term. Maybe it's maybe it's coming to terms with who he was, because I, I wouldn't say that he necessarily came out by the end but again i'm going to stop talking because i don't want to reveal too much i'd also like to talk about some of the other characters in the book and i'm curious are there specific characters that you feel a very strong connection to i think for me my favorite character is jesse stevens wife olive emmeline stevens for those who haven't read the book she is put on day's ship to go and find her husband it's quite unusual for a woman to be on an expeditionary ship around this time, although by no means unusual for a woman to be shipped off to the Arctic because the whaling crews of the time often took their wives and female family members on board. Interesting historical nugget. But Olive, Olive's presence on board the ship really complicates things for Day. Firstly, because she is the living embodiment of the fact that he has lost Stevens. And secondly, due to her profession, she is a spirit medium. She is one of what used to be called back then the spirit rappers of the 1850s to 1880s. So if you think of the Fox sisters and you think of people holding hands round a table, knock once for yes, twice for no, she's one of them. And the reason I like her so much is because she is so unapologetically difficult and goth. She is up in your face. She is challenging your beliefs. Um, she is wearing the craziest veils and the craziest fingerless gloves. And she is basically not giving an F about anyone else. And I, I just love her sense of self-belief and clarity. I, I would absolutely agree with that. I think my favorite character is by far Keela, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. The meaning of her name was quite moving to me, but I did find her to be, there was just something that was very, there was a strength about her that that just spoke to me. But her name, do you want to tell us what her name, I know what it means, but do you want to tell the audience what her name means? So Keela is a young girl who joins the ship in what was then Godhaven, in Greenland, which was a Danish colony. And she is a young indigenous girl. She doesn't know her parents and she's been brought up in the Danish colony, learning sewing, working at an orphanage, for example. But her name, her, 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 she's clung on to the one tangible aspect of her heritage that she can, which is her name, which is Keela, Q-I-L-A which means something like she who is asking the spirits or she who is connected to or demanding answers of the spirits. 
And obviously, when Olive Stevens meets her, she thinks this is excellent. This is, you know, a partner in crime for me. This is another young girl who is uh, interested in the spirit world. But Keela very much has her own agenda. She is not super interested in spiritualism or seances or ghosts or indeed any of that thing. She has her own agenda for wanting to be aboard this ship of largely white people headed north to where she thinks her family's indigenous lands are and where she thinks she might get some sense of belonging or some sense of where she's come from. And there, there's a very inter interesting connection between her and William Day as well, I mm -hmm. feel, uh, throughout the story, the way that they initially, well, again, without revealing too much, the way they start off versus where they end up. I'll just leave it at that. So... Yes, I, I think she is one of the few characters who really gets to know William Day over the course of the book. And yep. she is perfectly capable of calling him out on his bullshit when necessary. <laughs> and I love, love, love that. It's so great. So Where the Dead Weight takes place in the Arctic. I, I know I've read that you collect books on polar exploration as well. Uh, I would love to talk a little bit about your love of these places and particularly, and one thing that struck me as I was reading is the research, the amount of research that you had to do in order to prepare for this story. And if you could talk a little bit about building this world and sort of how you how you went about that research for this. Sure. Well, I'm a polar exploration nerd. I have a thing for historical polar expeditions, and I have a thing for doomed expeditions and expedition gone wrong. You know, the, the person at the party who will corner you to talk about the Dyatlov Pass incident or the Uruguayan flight disaster, say moi. I, I don't apologize for it. And so all my life, I've been very immersed in books about the Antarctic, about Scott, Shackleton, that sort of thing. And in terms of the Arctic, obviously Franklin is the big one, but there are also incredibly rich stories, in particular the expedition which most inspired Where the Deadweight, I think, was Greeley's expedition of 1888, the Lady Franklin Bay expedition, because that was one of the most famous and shocking stories of survival cannibalism to come out of the Arctic. So what can I tell you about the process of research? I think I go about it in quite a haphazard manner. I like to read around the subject first, read some nice general books, really start marinating my brain in that time period and all the things I need to know. And then it's a matter of filling in as I go. As I encounter a difficulty, I take to Wikipedia often <laughs> to try and uh, fill in the, the gaps in my knowledge. And it always amuses me that people talk about my books as being particularly well researched because I actually sometimes teach online classes about historical research and using historical research in supernatural fiction and one of the first things I tell people is don't do too much research and you can absolutely jazz hands it if you have to and I think that's my technique. It's a, it's a mixture of being really immersed in the world, writing about something I really love and would read about voraciously for pleasure. And I like to think that I've got to the stage where I know 
when it doesn't matter if I don't know exactly what that sink in that cabin looks like, or if I don't know it, it exactly what underwear this person is wearing when they're not going to be taking their clothes off for the next six months. I, I make my peace with it and I move on. I think you've done it very well. Uh, I wouldn't know where that line is, to be quite honest. I was really, like I said, very impressed by it. Uh, it really made an impact on me. One other area that you describe at point in some detail as well is the physical deterioration, I guess would be the best way to describe it, of these of these men during their experience. And I, I would love to know, I mean, same question, I guess, as before, the amount of research that goes into that. And if there is research, how do you maintain your emotional balance while delving into this disturbing sort of subject matter? Hmm. Well, I'd preface my answer by saying that I am a ghoul. I rejoice in learning grisly and horrible things. So it doesn't really have an emotional impact on me the process of researching and writing again my background was as a criminal barrister for 11 years which does I think tend you towards uh, the dark and an acceptance of the macabre aspects of life even without the horror aspects of it all you know there's a certain uh, level of gruesomeness inherent in the job when it came to researching the sort of physical aspects of what went on, I'm very lucky in that there's such a wealth of books about cannibalism in the context of the Franklin expedition, because, of course, they've done a lot of research and a lot of reconstruction to really try and put together the pieces of what happened there. Similarly, with the Greeley expedition, there's a lot that was known, you know, the picked over corpses were repatriated in iron caskets and then sometime later were opened up for public autopsies. So you, you can read all about all of that. So there is just such a wealth of information out there. I think my favourite fact and the most surprising one that I learnt um, when I was researching this topic came from a very dear friend of mine who's a beta reader and also a doctor who has been present in surgeries where wounds have been cauterized, so heat has been applied to human flesh. And she has told me that if you want to recreate the smell of human flesh cooking over an open fire, what you can do is get a tube of barbecue Pringles, open it up, take a huff. That's what it smells like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I went through so many tubes and I'm vegan, so I wouldn't eat them anyway. But, you know, sometimes these little sense details are very important. It's, I would say it's quite a smelly book all around. Probably not one for readers with particularly weak stomachs. There was a, a moment during, there's a seance that happens with Olive. It's, I think it's the second seance that happens. And there's smells that come to the forefront, especially for William Day. And they're very striking for me and how powerful they came to him. And sort of what, I'd, again, I don't want to reveal, but what, mm. what he was smelling was very powerful and had a very impact on him. And I thought that was a really great 
a really great, interesting aspect of storytelling that you don't read a lot often is the sense of smell. Thank you. I, I, I think so too. I find smell one of the most evocative senses to use in writing and one that can be very easily overlooked. So when I am writing, one of the fun things I do is I do try and to whatever extent I can put myself in the smellscape of the novel and think about that. And I will, I do have to say that second seance. Oh, wow. I mean, like there was, there was a line, something came through that actually just sent chills down my spine when, when I read that without giving it away too much. Can you, can you tease sort of a very pivotal moment or a scene from the book that, that your readers should look forward to? I think the scene you've just described is a good scene to look forward to. It takes place in the first 20% of the book. It has William Day determined to reclaim some sort of order on this shaky ship of his by putting everyone, all the officers and all his unwanted guests, including a reporter, into a room and saying essentially to Olive Emmeline, do your worst. And he doesn't think necessarily that anything particularly bad will happen. Most of the people with him don't believe that anything at all will happen. But what does happen is very, very personally significant for him. And also it's the first signpost, I would say, that something is at work that isn't quite so simple as Day is just a psychologically broken man. I completely agree. And it's such a turning point, I think, in the story for me. Horror is often an allegory for life, they say. So I'm kind of curious, what message or experience do you hope that your readers will take away from where the dead wait? Is there is there a specific impact or a meaning that you'd like the, the book to leave them with? Gosh, that's quite a hard question. Let me think about it. <laughs> I think one of the things the book really interrogates and really interrogated for me as I wrote it was whether our human bodies left behind after death are merely empty vessels or whether there is some significance to them, whether they still represent who we are. And I had all sorts of interesting dialogues with myself as I was writing it, because I do normally tend towards the belief that once you're gone, that's a shell. It doesn't matter if you are chopped up and eaten, for example, because you're not there. But then I had a lot of thoughts about how, as a society, we treat our dead and how societies around the world treat and honour their dead. And to what extent retaining some sanctity in the vessel speaks to what it is to be human and to honour human life. So that's something that I don't necessarily have an answer to. I sort of mulled it over as I was writing it. You can see all the characters in the book go back and forth, back and forth on the relationship of the empty body to death. But it's something that maybe readers will find themselves thinking about. And I don't think there's necessarily a hard and fast answer. I could not agree with that statement more. I thought that the journey through death and that whole experience, was, you raised some very interesting sort of points of view and thoughts throughout the book. And it really, it left me, it left an impression on me. And I don't know that I could articulate right now what that is, but 
it didn't go away. It's still, it's still sort of, you know, there. So good. All right. I'll lighten things up a little bit. Big question. Who are you reading right now? Who am I reading right now? One author who I'm doing a bit of a deep dive through at the moment is an author called Angela Slatter. She has, she's an Australian based, lovely sort of dark witchy fairy tales, dark fantasy author. She has a book coming out next year called The Briar Book of the Dead, which I was lucky enough to read for. And as a result, I've fallen in love with everything she's done and have asked the publishers to send me all of her stuff. And I am gleefully going through it. And it's so good. It's It's got a very specific feeling. It feels like opening a very fancy box of chocolates and getting to look at the map on the lid and figure out which ones you're going to eat and which ones you're going to save and stuff like that. It's it, it's a delicious experience reading Angela Slatter. That's fantastic. I'm actually going to take that as a reference and I'm going to go look it up. Okay. Other than horror, do you have any other favorite genres that you like? Hmm. I would say generally anything in the sort of thriller, adventure thriller genre is what I'm most likely to read. I read a lot of horror. It's the main thing I read. And if you were to tempt me outside my genre, it would really have to be with something horrible happening in extremis somewhere. So as an example, one of the books I've just finished reading is by a friend of mine called Amy McCulloch. She writes thrillers in extreme environments. Her first book, Breathless, was set in the, I think it's the Himalayas. Uh, a young female mountain climber is stalked by a killer on the mountain. Excellent. Amy's a mountain climber herself, so she really brings the detail. And I've just finished reading her latest book, although it came out some time ago, called Midnight, which is about a mystery and a murderer and a killer on a cruise ship to Antarctica. So it's all about the midnight sun. So oh, I think anytime you can tempt me with blood, gore, darkness, and hopefully a really inhospitable environment, that's when I'll come to the table. You've just be officially become my favorite person. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Ali, what's next on the horizon for you? So I am working away. Um, anxiously on my third book. Um, it's not contracted. So we're going to be seeing my agent and I what the reception to that one is. I'm hoping to go out in submission maybe next year. So yeah, I'm working away on that. Um, I don't want to say too much about it to give the game away. But what I can say is it's got those Ali Wilkes TM elements. It's historical. There is a supernatural element. And the biggest demons, as always, are patriarchy and colonialism. All right. I love it. I look forward to it. I cannot wait. All right. Last bonus question. I ask this of everyone. I'm putting you on the spot here. I want to ask you, write a short horror story using three random words. I'm going to go for... His eyes opened. Love, 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 love. <laughs> That's great. So the book is called Where the Dead Wait. It's available now here in the U.S. And it will be available on shelves, like I said, January 23rd in the U.K. 
Uh, as always, I ask that you always please go support your local bookstores. So please go check it out in bookstores, please. And Allie, can you tell us how our audience can find you on social? Well, I'd love to, but I saddled myself with a Twitter handle that I can never spell under pressure. I'm hoping you're going to put it in the show notes. It's at Unheimlich Maneuver. Yes, I know. I thought it was so clever. At Unheimlich Maneuver on Twitter or X or whatever it is we're meant to be calling it these days. And I'm slightly easier to find on Instagram at AV underscore Wilkes. Perfect. I will make sure to include all of those. And I will say Twitter is the only thing I dead name these days. So <laughs> there we go. Uh, I like that right. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate uh, talking to you. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. And guys, we'll see you next time on Quills and Chills. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Quills and Chills. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the mysterious and the haunted. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to support us by subscribing on your preferred podcast platform and leaving us a rating or review. Because your feedback helps keep those chills running down both our spines. And feel free to share the show with your favorite fellow horror enthusiasts. Also, if you guys have any spooky stories, strange encounters, or paranormal experiences of your own, I'd love to hear them. Reach out to me on social media or email me at quillsandchillspodcast at gmail.com. Who knows? Your story might end up on a very special episode. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I will see you back here next time on Quills and Chills. Bye, y'all.